Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today, we are joined by Angela Grayson, the principal member and founder of Precipice IP. Her top five leadership values are, your A game is the only game, be kind but be clear, don't be sorry but take ownership, try it anyway, and be ethical always. Well, this morning we are with Angela Grayson, who is the principal member and founder of Precipice IP, and we're also joined by Miss Rachel Pohl, who is an undergraduate honors student in civil engineering. And Rachel had the pleasure of taking Dr. White, who is our first podcast interviewee, his leadership class at the University of Arkansas. So thank you, Angela, for joining us today. You're very welcome. Excited to be here. Thank you. So you, as I mentioned, are the principal member and founder of Precipice IP, and I think that ties in very nicely to the first leadership value that you gave us. And that leadership value is your A game is the only game. And since you founded a company, I would assume that every day you always have your A game. Every day I try. When you think about your A game and think about that's how you try and live your life every day, are there any stories that come to mind that you could share with us or... Any way that you feel like you're able to do that on a day-to-day basis? First of all, that phrase, your A-game should be your only game, is actually stolen. It, it is actually a phrase that I heard on another podcast. And I thought, you know what? That sums it up right there. I started my legal career as a pharmaceutical patent attorney. And everyone knows that pharmaceutical products are bet the state company sometimes. So I was working on products that were worth billions of dollars. And when you're drafting legal protections around products that are worth so much, there really is no room for error. Mm -hmm. The area is so litigious, you can always bet that there is going to be what we call Hatch-Waxman litigation once a patent is close to expiring or once the FDA protections are close to expiring. So you know that product is going to be exposed. And so they train us to be very careful. I mean, perfection is really not attainable, but you do need to bring your A game every day to work Mm -hmm. because your work will be exposed. That is how I started. And that's how I hope to finish my career with that philosophy in mind. And when I actually heard another leader say, your A game should be your only game, I thought, you know what? Those are really words that I live by. I never quite articulated it in that manner, but I absolutely agree. And I think the other reason why that probably resonated with me is because when I was a graduate student at the University of Mississippi before I went to law school, my principal professor was actually a Harvard and Berkeley trained 
and his standards for his students were just up there. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to hear any excuses. He didn't want to hear, I can't do it. You know, I remember telling him once, you know what? You know, you went to Harvard and you went to Berkeley and your standards are just outrageous. He's like, I studied hard. You're going to study hard. You're my student. You can do this. And so, you know, my eyes kind of got big. It's like, yeah, I can. <laughs> and ever since then, I think between his personal philosophy and kind of the way I started my legal career, I do believe your A-game should be your only game. Well, that's fantastic. And you said a couple things in there that caught my mind. One, you talked about pharmaceuticals. Two, you talked about practicing law. And when I look at the arc of your career, I see two very significant transitions. You mentioned you've got your um, bachelor's and master's in chemistry and physical chemistry, respectively. But then you pivoted over to law you obviously were very successful working with DuPont and Walmart, but then you decided to start your own company, which was a second very large transition. So during those transitions, I would assume there were times when you felt like, oh, it would just be so much easier to stay where I am. You're getting a good paycheck. You're getting the job done. Just this morning, I thought it should be so much easier just to stay in bed. But but, but so what is what has motivated you to make those huge changes? Because I'm sure it took a lot of strength and forward thinking to do that. I think it really has a lot to do with where I was raised. So I was raised in the Mississippi Delta mm-hmm. by my grandparents, by the way. Mm-hmm. Of course, Mississippi has just a very long past when it comes to race relations. and But I was raised actually in the Delta on a plantation where people were slaves, you know, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you can come from a community like that with so much history and not take something of that with you in terms of taking the ability to never give up, always drive forward. Of course, my grandparents were the first few people that were registered to vote in Sharkey County in Mississippi. And I take the strength of that community with me every single day. And it's like, there's just no reason to give up. It's just no reason to give up. And so it has been very challenging. You know, when I first started out in my first attorney job, being in pharmaceuticals was a big challenge because I was a physical chemist. Uh, You know, the largest number of carbons I really had to deal with was like six. And then I, I, you know, I'm dealing with all these crazy chemical structures. And you just realize that, you know, one of the most important things you can learn as a student is the ability to learn and stick to something. And I think graduate school sort of paved the way for me to continue to move forward. I had great mentors. Again, growing up in the Mississippi Delta with grandparents and a great, strong community, there was just no reason to look back. Mm -hmm. And so there was always a reason to move forward. And so there are plenty of days when I think, man, you know, I should just tap out. I think (laughs) because being an entrepreneur is really hard, Mm -hmm. but it is so rewarding. It's like a high that you get every day that you get to shape your future yourself. You get to claim a voice out there Mm -hmm. that is your own voice. Uh, You get to help the people that you want to help. And having that kind of reach and having that kind of opportunity is something that you just can't throw away. I say to myself, you know, I just can't walk away from this Mm -hmm. because it's truly a blessing and an honor 
to number one, be in the community and really kind of tell my story for people who want to hear it. It's a combination of things that keep me going, but if I had to put my finger on it, it's kind of where I came from and, and hopefully the future I see in front of me. That's phenomenal. If I can hearken back, you gave a, an interview with Talk Business and Politics in 2017, and you mentioned that your grandmother was the person you admired the most. And you said that she was the most elegant blend of strength and kindness. Those are, are fantastic words, and that actually aligns very closely with your second value that you provided us. And the second value you provided was be kind, but be clear. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that that kind of inspiration from your grandmother also really founded that second leadership value that you provided. I guess I didn't really think about the connection, but I think you're absolutely right. She was the sweetest woman. She didn't actually go to college. She had a high school diploma. And I think she started out as kind of a like a domestic, but she ended up going to school really nonstop. I mean, I just remember her always taking a class Back in those days, it was correspondence classes. It wasn't like online classes. But I remember this woman learning computers. And, you know, we're talking about my grandmother. We're not talking, you know, we're not talking about kind of a young woman at the time. And I just always remember her bettering herself. So she went from a domestic to she ended up managing the cafeteria at the elementary school back when she finally retired. And I don't think she was quite a dietitian, but she was she was probably pretty close. All of that was from a high school diploma, working really hard. I think she managed like a team of, I don't know how many workers she had, maybe 10. Uh, I saw how hard it was for her to be a manager because she had to be clear, but she was always kind. Mm-hmm. I just remember some of her struggles in terms of being a manager and she was just a great example for me. She unfortunately passed away during my first year of law school. And, you know, it's one of those things someone told me when I was in school. I was really having a very, very difficult time. And uh, one of my counselors at the law school said, you know, I'm just going to tell you, you're never going to get over this loss. You're going to think about her every single day of your life, but you can, you can move on. You can, you can move forward. And I take those words. And so she definitely continues to inspire me because, again, she was just the sweetest woman. She had such style and she had such grace. And any time that I feel like I'm about to go off the rails and say something crazy, I think about, well, now what would my mom do here? And so she does inspire me. And I think you're right. I think that quote definitely correlates with my relationship with her. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that sort of ties into your third value, don't be sorry. So for me, this reading your five values, this one kind of stuck out to me, especially as a woman. And to me, that made me think, are you thinking of don't be sorry? The fact in women in leadership, you need to be bold sometimes. And that can look different coming from a woman than a man. That was just my interpretation. And I wanted to know more about that and what that actually meant. I probably should have said, don't be sorry, but take ownership. I, you know, have sort of been around the block. I've had probably more corporate jobs than the average person. Um, I also started out in the government, and uh, I also obviously am a small business owner. So I've seen leadership in lots of different contexts. I also interview people to work at the firm. And one of the things I see a lot is women saying, sorry about this and sorry about that. They even say sorry when they tell me what kind of salary they want. So I 
am just tired of hearing people say sorry because I'll tell you, a lot of guys don't walk into a meeting or start an email by saying, sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's a different thing to take ownership if you've done something wrong, but you don't need to say sorry for uh, establishing opportunities for yourself. You don't need to apologize for being able to do your job. If you have to give someone bad news, why do you need to apologize for that? Or if you are confident, why do you need to apologize for that? If you regret that something happened, say, I regret that it happened, but you don't need to say you're sorry about it. And I think that that's just something I, and I think a lot of, you know, this is an issue that's come up before in in terms of just women's leadership. It's kind of a, an uh, of the moment topic right now. And so I remember just thinking, well, you know, I'll just mention that. And I try to do that myself. You know, it's like, listen, if I've done something wrong, I want to take ownership for that. But I really do try to wipe sorry from my vocabulary because I think for a woman, it's almost starting to become a stereotypical thing that I think women need to be cognizant of. That's my two cents on that subject. Second part, but take ownership. Where have you seen that come in play throughout your career? Is there a specific instance that caused you to add on that second part? You know, what I didn't want that to sound like, if you've done something inappropriate or if you messed up, I I didn't want the don't be sorry to be taken as you don't want to take ownership. Yes. Because, you know, we all mess up. You know, we're only human. Uh, We all have a lot on our plate. Sometimes we're wrong. And so I think it's important that we all take ownership. And so I think that that is, you know, accountability and not taking accountability, but not being sorry are just sort of different things in my mind. So you don't want to be sorry, but you do want to be accountable. Now, I also noticed in addition to your professional career, you are also extremely active in the volunteer side of things. And something that caught my eye is that you are an international advisory board member for Destination Imagination. Yes. And I'm very happy to say that my nephew is a member (laughs) of the Destination Imagination crew. He and his dad go to Home Depot, they do projects, they work on them over long periods of time, which I yeah. think is wonderful because it you know, not only creates bonds, but it also exposes students to these longer timelines because yeah. not everything can be solved in a 22-minute sitcom. So <laughs> um, you, you're not only a board member for Destination Imagination, but you um, are a board trustee for the American Intellectual Property Law Education Foundation. You're on the College of Business, the College of Engineering, and the Vice Chancellor of Economic Development Dream Board at the University of Arkansas. I assume that you could spend more than enough time with your own <laughs> law firm. Well, what makes you take the time for those other activities? Well, I suppose it goes back to voice. And quite frankly, I don't see a lot of women of color in some of these higher profile roles taking the AIPLA, the advisory board work with the American Intellectual Property Law Association uh, Foundation, there just aren't a lot of women patent attorneys, and there are not a lot of women of color patent attorneys. And one of the things, just taking, for example, that board is supposed to do is to help diverse students make their way to law school Hmm. and uh, specifically go into intellectual property. And so, uh, you know, these projects, while they definitely do take time and 
you know, we all have to manage our time and establish boundaries. We can't do all of the things we want to do all the time. It's difficult to walk away from an opportunity to influence and impact our future. Mm -hmm. It just really is. And I do know that being a, a black woman in this profession, particularly as, you know, a patent attorney, especially with all this experience, I'm amazed that, you know, I don't think that my story is all that unique. But whenever I go and I speak and I interact with people, I do find that people do find the story unique and some people really do find inspiration from it. And so I feel like it's almost a bit of a duty if you have the opportunity to have a voice to show other people similarly situated that you can do it too. I do feel like that's something that I should I should do. And so I've been very uh, fortunate to have been given the opportunity to be visible, have that voice, and hopefully impact, again, the future leaders, in particular women of color, uh, people of color down the road. That's fantastic. And I think that melds into your fourth value that you provide with us is try it anyway, because I think you, you acknowledged that your plate is already full, but <laughs> you are taking the time. You're trying it anyway to provide paths for future people as well. And I think that is just phenomenal. In terms of that value as well, it, it probably is the loose strategy for why there is a there's a bit of a, a path that might not make sense to some <laughs> people. In fact, when I was uh, when I told my dad I was going to law school, he was just like, Really, honey, when are you going to get a job? I mean, I'm just super <laughs> proud of you. I think you're great. But when are you going to get a job? And, you know, the philosophy is, well, you know, what if? And I, I wish I could say that I had a a strong strategy when I transitioned <laughs> from from graduate school to, to law school, but I didn't. It was mostly about intellectual curiosity. And I was really fortunate that there there was a career for me blending science and law. But my career has really been a lot driven by try it anyway. If I am curious about something or if it's a goal, one of the goals I, I had in, in corporate America was to develop stronger business acumen. Because when you're in-house, you work very closely with business units and business teams. You don't spend all of your time hunched over a, a brief. You know, it's there's a lot of partnership there. And so, you know, I felt like I had done a lot in corporate America. I mean, you know, I'd been in corporate America for 15 years, but what I wasn't getting was some additional opportunities. And I wanted to really learn business. I wanted to, you know, I had just a laundry list of things I wanted to do, and I just wanted to try it anyway. And I was middle-aged and still am, and I'm not as young as I used to be, but I still go by try it anyway. What's the worst that can happen? Absolutely. <laughs> you don't know unless you try it. You know, the world's certainly not going to come to an end. You know, I do actually a lot of stuff myself. I built my own website. My husband helps me with some of my marketing. But for the most part, I, I kind of do a lot of stuff myself. And I'll tell you, the first pass at a lot of stuff just truly sucks. <laughs> but but you got you to gotta put your pride aside and try it anyway, because the only way you're going to get better is to, number one, have that experience, get the feedback, and then try it again and again and again. And that is the thing that I really enjoy. It's like looking back, it's like, wow, you know, that the first time really, you know, it wasn't so great, but 
this kind of looks professional, you know? <laughs> so anyway, that, that truly is my, that, that really is my philosophy. Now, Angela, you've mentioned your husband and you've talked about your parents and you mentioned mentors when you were in college. How have those people shaped your view on leadership, specifically mentors, and then even giving back, like you said, you want to, you feel the need to give back to the people because you have these experiences. So mentors, mentees. I have had a variety of mentors over the years. You know, I probably was a bit more aware of the need for a mentor, maybe in my second job uh, when I worked at Eli Lilly. And they put me through uh, a leadership program. It was an African-American leadership program, and it was great. And then I realized the need for sponsorship as well. Like once you realize one thing, then you, you know, you need to realize another. And, you know, I have just been pretty amazed. I've had mentors from my community that, you know, are in the church, the little old ladies, you know, we, you know, we yes. call them, you know, the mothers of the church. And so they, they keep me grounded. Of course, my dad is still a mentor. My grandfather is still a mentor for me. But then in corporate America, uh, I've had African-American women in leadership who mentored me, which was wonderful. But one of the surprising things is when I'm mentored by white males and uh, my husband, who is also a white male. And so looking at the world from that very different perspective has been just awesome for me because as a woman of color and just, you know, we're all shaped by our own experiences, right? So we see the world according to our own experiences. And, and so being able to have a relationship with someone that looks very different, has very different experience, and also is in a position of power is a great relationship to have. And so I, I do try to tell people that it's great to have mentors and sponsors, uh, people who kind of look like you. There's a comfort level there. But if you can find someone who looks very different than you, you are going to be enriched by that relationship in, in very different ways. Uh, so, for example, I was mentored when I was at DuPont by one of the executive vice presidents. I can't even remember how we ended up finding each other, but, you know, we would have lunch uh, from time to time. He's now leading another company. Just the nuggets that he would provide to me was great. And now in his company, which he doesn't really have to do because technically his company is still a startup. I mean, it's like five years old. They have a tremendous diversity program where they are looking to recruit people of color into their science department and my hope is that my relationship with him may have impacted his decision to take that initiative for his company. Wow, you know, awesome. so I think that it is, um, it can be a complex thing, but I think if we are open to relationships of people in just all different sort of areas, uh, different, you know, backgrounds, gender, age, I think we can be enriched by that. And, and I certainly have. And I also really love it when people reach out to me it's really kind of tough being a black woman in this world. I mean, I am not one to whine, but it it is true. And I have women that contact me and they say, you know, it's really hard for me to get some experience as a patent attorney or as an IP lawyer. I'm really having a tough time. And it does make me feel good to be able to give them kind of some actionable advice. And you know, here's kind of what I would suggest and here's what I've done. So I definitely try to pay it forward, but I have been enriched just by various relationships throughout my career, for sure. 
there's been an undercurrent under almost everything we've talked about so far. So going through your, your five leadership values again, the first was your A game is the only game. The second is be kind, but be clear. The third is don't be sorry, but take ownership with the new addendum. The fourth is try it anyway. And the fifth even has the word always in it, but it's be <laughs> ethical always. And I think it's been my perspective that a lot of the things you've talked about have very strong roots in ethical behavior. Would you mind expanding a little on that specifically from the ethical perspective? Ethics was definitely a part of my graduate school experience. You know, when you're a lawyer, you're supposed to learn how important ethics is in law school. And uh, actually being out in the world, uh, test your ethics every day, especially when you're a business owner. I have certainly had to turn away business based on things that my clients wanted me to do, which weren't illegal, but from uh, an ethics perspective, they weren't ethical. I am governed by three different ethics bodies because I am in Arkansas, Mississippi, as well as the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And so a lot of business people aren't necessarily governed by a, a code of ethics that impact their ability to do their business. I am. And so I think about that every day. I think about that in terms of how I go out to solicit business, the relationships that I have with my clients. You know, this is, you know, can be debated, but I don't know if you're ever going to get filthy rich as an ethical person. And I'm okay with that, right? Because I choose to walk in this world according to, you know, sort of the old way that you were raised in the church. The, you know, when I was in law school, we would we would say, you know, what would Jesus do? Like when we would never, we'd have a test on ethics, you know, was, was it WWJD or something? What would Jesus do? And so it's like that is something that you learn kind of as a kid and kind of the way you were brought up. And then it's just been reinforced even up till now. You know, it's just a decision that I made in terms of how I was going to live my life in my personal life, as well as how I conduct my business. And uh, you're right. I'd like to think that that is a theme that permeates through all of the leadership values that I hold dear. But it's definitely something that I think about every day. It's like I need to do right by my clients. I need to do right by my family. And I certainly don't want to walk on the wrong side of these rules that <laughs> that uh, govern me. You mentioned having to turn away clients because you didn't see it being ethical. How do you have those hard conversations? I know there's probably always people opposing those decisions. Well, I think it is ethical. So how do you overcome that? Courage. Sometimes you just have to be strong enough to walk away and and know that you'll be blessed with another opportunity because you did the right thing. You know, being being strong and being brave are not always easy for people to do. But it's something that I was raised to be courageous. You need to be courageous when you need to be. And have faith that, you know, if you do the right thing, the next thing will come along. So that's just kind of what I think. Is there any last nugget of information you'd like to share with the listeners on the leadership in general, perhaps directed toward undergraduates? You know, I would say students and leaders should strive to have varied and diverse relationships. I think that, you know, you can have lots of leadership principles 
but you can find yourself so much more enriched when you open your professional and your personal world to people who don't look like you. I have certainly been enriched by my husband, who is absolutely different from me. I've been enriched by some of the business mentors and sponsors who don't look anything like me. And I would like to think that they have had their eyes opened and their world rocked a little bit by having a relationship with me. And I think that, you know, having leadership values is great, but you've got to live those values. And part of that is is opening yourself up, not only for an enriching relationship, but being able to help someone who doesn't look like you. Uh, you know, so one of the things I kind of test my, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing just in terms of my life is uh, what does my LinkedIn, uh, what do what do those connections look like? Are they all black? Are they all women? I want them to be a diverse mix of people because that is how I'm going to grow the best and the most. And so that would be maybe some parting thoughts. Good. Well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining Leadership Web today. We hope that you found insight and guidance on leadership tools from this interview. Please join Leadership Web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey. Also, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn by searching Leadership Web.